Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode of Speaking of Bitcoin on the Coindesk Podcast Network is brought to you by Nexo.io. For years now, it's been very difficult to run a mailing list if you're a crypto company or if you have crypto in the name of your company or if there's the word crypto on your website or if crypto lightly brushed the presence of your person three years ago in a drive-by. No matter what, mailing list companies, those that allow you to send email to your customers, your audience or similar things like that, have been very reluctant to accept crypto companies. In fact, I got booted off at least two over the several years that I've been in this industry because of that. And I've had a lot of difficulty setting up a mailing list. One of the companies that was able to support crypto companies for mailing lists is a company called MailChimp. Ironically, MailChimp got acquired by Intuit, the makers of QuickBooks and TurboTax, if you need a reference a thoroughly rotten financial services company that does lots of nasty shenanigans. So MailChimp just last week suffered an inside attack where apparently someone with access to MailChimp systems attacked several crypto firms, most notably Satoshi Labs, the company that makes the Trezor hardware wallet, captured the names and email addresses of the customers that were stored on MailChimp servers and use those to launch a phishing attack. The phishing attack against Satoshi Labs, against Trezor, specifically sent out emails. I received two of those last week that appeared to come from the Trezor company saying that they had suffered a breach, irony of ironies, and that their software that enables the connection of your hardware wallet to the blockchain called Trezor Suite had been compromised and that you needed to download a new copy. And right there in the email, there was a very convenient button with a link that allowed you to download a new copy. If you know anything about security already, your tingly spidey sense has lit up and you are very reluctant to click on that link. I immediately saw that and thought, oh boy, here we go again. If you did download the Trezor Suite, it would tell you that there was something wrong with your hardware wallet. And in order to recover, you should type in your 12 to 24 word mnemonic phrase to recover your funds. And then it promptly stole all your funds if you did that. This is yet another attack of this type, only the latest. And 
it's very ironic that it comes because of the centralization of crypto companies into one of the few mailing list management platforms that allowed them to be customers. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty audacious for an employee to do this because I think, I mean, it seems like it would be pretty easy to pinpoint who did it. Although maybe if they're now like a bigger company, maybe it's not that obvious. I'm not sure if it was an employee. What I heard is inside attack. So it could be a contractor. It could be someone who had temporary access to systems. It could be an employee. Who knows? There haven't been details released on who did it. No, only that it came from inside MailChimp, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's important because it means they didn't compromise any other information about the customers except for the information that was put into that mailing list that people signed up for, which is first name, last name, email address, you know, rather than the much more serious attack that happened at Ledger where they compromised their e-commerce site and they were able to pull the physical addresses A lot of people were terrified of having attacks against their homes. Yeah, I believe they were sending out emails to that effect. I know where you live and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They did a lot of phishing attacks against Ledger as well with email, as well as with text messages to the phone numbers. At least in this attack, the only real thing that was compromised was the email. Another interesting aspect of this, when you clicked on that link, if you clicked on that link, you got a copy of Trezor Suite that looked exactly like Trezor Suite. And this is one of those rare occasions where open source software bites us in the butt. Because the reason the attackers were able to create a perfect replica of Trezor Suite is because Trezor Suite is open source. So they were able to clone the source, compile their own copy with an inserted Trojan that sent you to a workflow that pretended your device was compromised or corrupted and then asked you to put in your recovery phrase and then sent that to some location so that they could sweep your money. I was wondering a couple things, like have any of the funds been recovered and how much was actually stolen? I have no idea. Okay. It would be hard to tell, yeah. Yeah, I saw the two phishing mails I did hear a couple of people saying that they fell for it, but I don't know how widespread that was. I don't know how many people got taken and for how much money. And again, that's in the nature of decentralized system. Obviously, Trezor doesn't know what your balance of your hardware wallet is. A lot of people would probably be even too embarrassed to say that they lost money this way. And there's no real point in telling anyone, right? It's not like you're going to get your money back. It's gone and no one's going to reimburse you. So I think for many people, they just keep quiet about it. And that's unfortunate. Well, unless there's some kind of criminal investigation. But yeah, maybe people are not hopeful about that. Well, there just isn't too much that can really be done in those circumstances. You know, I was helping somebody do like a Trezor setup a couple of weeks ago, and they had actually created like a wallet in advance around this. And one of the things that we saw when doing an update was that when we would test the recovery phrase, you know, the Trezor application that we're talking about here would come back. It would say that the phrase that you have is correct, but you need to recover because it's not the one that matches the one that's on your device. And so again, like this was not a compromised situation. I did not have this type of problem, but that's not the first time that I've run into an issue like that, that appears to be an issue that's based in the software that just makes it really, really unclear about what's actually happening and why that winds up happening. So again, like 
this whole be your own bank thing, as we've discussed many, many times before, really does wind up being a double edged you know, sword where, you know, on the one hand, it means you're fully empowered to be the custodian of your own funds. And, you know, there's nobody else who can screw up and make you lose your funds. But a lot of times there's just ambiguous stuff where that ambiguity around it makes it so that, well, you might wind up making a bad decision, but it could feel like a very small decision at the time. And yet it winds up having these absolutely enormous repercussions. With great power comes great responsibility. I mean, with yeah. great responsibility comes a terrifying user flow, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> We've been doing this for a long time. You have to have a steel spine <laughs> yeah. to be your own bank, right? <laughs> you, you do. Absolutely. You do. But there are some best practices we can follow and some rules of thumb we can follow that can be taught in a fairly condensed way for those who are using hardware wallets, for those who are doing self-custody to protect themselves against all manner of such attacks. Yeah, I want to talk about that. Maybe this will come up, but I was wondering, Trezor Suite is open source, but does it allow you to verify GPG signatures from the developers or? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. But who does that? Yeah. (laughs) The circle of people who check the GPG signature and the circle of people who will click on a link in an email to download the hardware wallet software Those two circles do not intersect at all. They're like a mile apart. (laughs) So so the problem is that this starts with one of the most obvious red flags. You look at that email and it was fairly well crafted. There were no obvious typos and grammar mistakes, but the from address was a domain I had never seen before. I think it was something like trezorhelp.io, something I've never seen before. And then, of course, there was a link to download software. There is never a link. I've been using Trezor since 2013. I got the first one in their Kickstarter. Oh, maybe it was 2014. I got the very first model that came, the first edition in the Kickstarter. They have never sent an email with a link in it for obvious reasons, right? So if there's an email with a link on it, don't click especially if it's related to crypto. You never click on links in email. Now, this is less of a rule of thumb because it's very easy to fool people into following a link. Well, it wasn't a link. It was a button. A button is a link with a square shape. (laughs) Yeah, in an email. You know that. I can't tell you how many people I will talk to who would not know the difference between that. They would be like, no, it wasn't a link. It was a button. This is really a very easy way to get people. So this leads to my rule of thumb number one, okay? This is really important. Nothing in crypto requires urgency. If your funds or your hardware wallet is lost, it's lost. If it's not lost, it's not lost. And there is no scenario or action that you can take that will change that outcome Or that will change that outcome if only you act fast. So speed is never of the essence, never in our industry. Because if they already got the keys, they got the keys. And if they didn't get the keys, they didn't get the keys. If your device is compromised, vulnerable, malfunctioned, or whatever, it's going to remain compromised, vulnerable, or malfunctioned while it's sitting there. It's not like you must do something quickly to prevent them from stealing your funds. There is never, ever a scenario in self-custody 
or acting quickly is required. I'm glad you said in self-custody because I was thinking about, you know, sometimes you'll get an email that's like, okay, you initiated a withdrawal from an exchange. If this wasn't you, report it as fast as possible. And sometimes they have a delay on it, right? So in self-custody. That's a timed event. That's completely different. In self-custody, if you're controlling the keys, you're either controlling them or you're not controlling them. That's not going to change if you act fast or slow. So rule of thumb number one. And that's a tactic that scammers use. Exactly. They create a false sense of urgency. Yes. And they try to get you to do something urgently. And sometimes they even use language that's meant to kind of rile you up and scare you and get you to act fast. Right. Absolutely. So what the scammer wants to do is they want you to don't think, act. And what you want to do with self-custody, and this is a rule of thumb, is don't act, think. If you ever feel the urge to immediately or quickly or urgently do something, you have that horrible feeling that you may have lost your money. That is the moment when you absolutely must not act. Don't click, don't type, don't anything. Step away from the computer and think, think hard. Why am I in this sense of urgency? So slow things down because urgency is absolutely your enemy. So that's my number one rule of thumb. Don't act, think. And if you ever feel under pressure to act, that's a big red flag that someone's messing with you. Yeah, that's a great rule that it even applies beyond crypto to other types of phishing attacks and also like people that just want to manipulate you and scare you into doing something right away, giving up your rights, for example. <laughs> Or giving up your password. It's kind of similar. Yep. Creating a false emergency is a classic social engineering technique that is used in all kinds of scenarios where people are trying to fool you. And what they want you to do is not think, but act instead. Looking for ways to step up your crypto game? Then go with Nexo. For starters, you get free crypto for each purchase or swap. How about earning guaranteed yields? Up to 17% paid out daily. Ideal for you hardcore hodlers. You don't even need to sell. Instead, borrow instant cash against your assets. Get the most out of your crypto with Nexo at nexo.io. That's nexo.io. Rule number two, and this is very, very simple, that 12 to 24 word mnemonic phrase or seed phrase as it's often known, never, ever, ever type that into anything that isn't the hardware wallet. Very, very simple. Never, ever, ever type that into anything that isn't the hardware wallet. The hardware wallet is a secure device that you can type in your seed for recovery. Everything else is not. The moment you find your eyes on your mnemonic phrase and your fingers on anything that is not the hardware wallet, stop. You should not be typing this in. You should not type it into a website. You should not type it into software running on your desktop and your laptop. The whole purpose of a hardware wallet is that you don't trust any other device. You don't trust what you see on the screen. You don't trust it as an input device. 
you only trust the hardware wallet. If it says it on the screen, it's true. If you type it into the screen, it's safe. That's it. Never, ever trust any other device. So just don't type it, ever. Yeah, that's good. I mean, did we say this in the past? Your seed phrase is like your underwear. (laughs) You don't let anyone else use it, borrow it, see it. (laughs) Right. And it is the keys, right? So as per the phrase, not your keys, not your coins. The seed phrase is the keys. It's not access to the keys. It is the keys themselves. It is a number written in English words, but it is again a number and it is the keys themselves. So you have to guard it as if it is the keys because it is the keys. And that means you never put it anywhere that isn't safe. And when it comes to computers, the only device that is safe is the hardware wallet that has been designed to be safe. Well, I think that you're telling people something that they should know, but which is going to be a lot more time consuming when typing in your seed phrase into something like a hardware wallet. What's rule number three, Andres? Well, I mean, rule number three is don't click on links and email. Yeah, it's a good one. It's the classic phishing rule. You've heard it a million times. Don't believe emails. Don't click on links and email. Don't open attachments and emails. Don't trust email. But that's such a trite rule nowadays. The problem is that if you're in that sense of urgency, you forget that rule. Hopefully, these three rules work together, right? What we're trying to do is break down that chain of reactions. So in order for the fisher, for the attacker to win, they must create the certain of urgency. They must cause you to click on that link in an email, which you know is you shouldn't be doing, but the sense of urgency has overridden your brain. You will download software that you don't check where it came from. Another thing you know you're not supposed to do, but you just did it because of a sense of urgency. And then that software will create even more urgency by telling you that your device has been compromised, is vulnerable, whatever. Never true. Never a sense of urgency with hardware wallets. And it will then prompt you to type in your seed which you now know you should never do. So if you break that chain at any point, you're safe. For the attacker to win, you have to go through all five of those steps in one continuous panic, right? Without stopping for a second. And all we have to do to protect people is give them the information they need to pause just once in any one of those five steps and think and notice that they're about to break one of the rules and hopefully stop. Maybe go and ask someone, maybe go and do some research, maybe take a break, maybe walk away for a day. Nothing's going to change in the next 24 hours or in fact, months. That's why they call it cold storage, right? Nothing's going to change. If it's already gone, it's already gone. And if it isn't, stop doing things to make it worse. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, These are lessons that are good to know. But I think, again, in the moment, sometimes very hard to remember to follow. So hopefully we've gotten to some people today. Thanks very much for bringing this up, Andreas. I think this is an important lesson to get through periodically. Yeah, I agree. Thanks, Andreas. I love the three simple rules to follow. And I just wanted to add that We're not saying anything negative about hardware wallets themselves, because that is still the most secure way to store coins, right? 
Right. Yeah. I mean, what got hacked in this particular case was people's brains. Your brain is the problem. (laughs) (laughs) That's how most effective security attacks and breaches occur. You don't hack the computer. That's too hard. You hack the person. That's always the easier path. And so what we're trying to do here is put firewalls in brains and not on computers. We're trying to fortify the security behaviors and habits of people so that when they deviate from their normal habits, from their normal practices, that causes them to pause and go, why am I doing this? This isn't what I did previously. This feels different. I'm feeling panicked. This isn't what I usually do. Why am I doing this? And then stop. And again, by the way, there's no shame in getting fooled. It happens to everyone. I mean, it's so easy for someone to fall for this. And that's why these attackers are so successful. But just like any new technology, just like we had to learn new habits to protect ourselves when we're on the Internet so that we don't get scammed into putting our credit card numbers or our social security numbers on the Internet, just how we had to learn, you know, to check the license plate before getting into an Uber because that was a new concept, a new behavior we weren't used to and it presented new dangers. Well, with self-custody and crypto, you have to learn some new habits, some new behaviors, and you also have to look out for some new types of threats. Thank you very much for listening to another episode of Speaking of Bitcoin. Today's show featured Andreas M. Antonopoulos, Stephanie Murphy, and myself, Adam B. Levine. Music for this episode was provided by Jared Rubens and Gertie Beats with editing by Jonas. If you have any questions or comments, you can send me an email at adam at speakingofbitcoin.show. And until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>